my wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are peace in my troubled sea oh you are the peace in my troubled sea The silence you won't let go In the questions your truth will Your great love will lead us through You are the peace in my troubled sea oh, You are the peace in my troubled sea sailing or the waves are choppy we thank you that you guide us may we look to you may our eyes be fixed on you our our saving god um, 
our good Father. Please guide us, lead us, and um, we trust that your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher. So even when we cannot see um, the path before us, um, we know that you light our way. So may we look to you. in you. Help us, God. Draw us close to you. We, we come this morning with, uh, with our ears open, with our hearts um, just begging to be softened by your spirit. Um, 
to speak truth into our lives, God. Even if it's difficult for us to hear, we desire your truth um, over anything that would um, flatter or make things comfortable. You are our comforter, Lord, so um, we trust in you. We want you to have your way, and uh, we give glory and praise to your name, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church on this uh, beautiful day. It looks like it's going to get a a little bit warmer uh, as it goes on, but uh, it looks like it's not going to rain at all, so that'll be nice uh, for this day. If you're a visitor, thank you for coming and uh, hanging out with us this morning um, as we worship and celebrate Jesus. Uh, If you'd like more information on the church, uh, we've got some cards in back that you can fill out, put that into the box, and then we'll be in contact with you. If you have any prayer requests of any kind, uh, those can also go into the box, uh, and we'll be praying for those throughout the week. Uh, We thank you for your tithes and offerings. Those also go into the same box. We kind of have a catch-all box for that. Um, And we thank you for being faithful in in those as well. Uh, A number of different things with the announcements this morning. Um, the first one is there's these clipboards um, kind of in the front rows this time. We had them come from the back. Uh, and so if you look in, if you're in a front row, nobody's in front of you, there should be a clipboard. Uh, if you want to grab that and then, you know, if you feel led to join into the children's ministry that Angie shared last week, um, feel free to fill that out. If you signed up last week, we still have those. Uh, and so you don't need to do it again. Uh, we just wanted to have another week for those to kind of go through Um, as we look to rebuild the children's ministry. Uh, Before I forget, uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 5, beginning of verse 15. Uh, So if you have Bibles and you want to head there, uh, the verses will be on the screens as well. Uh, Events coming up. uh, This coming Tuesday at 6.30 uh, is men's group at Dale's house. Uh, And so if you need to know where that is, I believe Dale is here. Daryl's right there, so you can see him and get directions for that, Um, but that'll be at 6.30. We had canceled or postponed the 5K race that was taking place on Father's Day last month. Uh, That, we now have a rescheduled date for that, Uh, but we're not going to be doing the picnic with it. We were kind of thinking through, we're getting into July, some of the hotter months, uh, and to try and like have church and then run to a picnic and then have, you know, eat a bunch of food in the middle of July and then try to run for three miles uh, would make for some interesting photo finishes, I think, that we want to avoid. Um, and so we're, we're going to have the picnic is to be scheduled yet. We're looking for a, a day and a location for that. Um, but as far as the 5K race, uh, that'll be Saturday, uh, July 24th. Uh, And so that'll give about three more weeks from yesterday uh, to get back into training or to start training uh, if you haven't started yet. Um, To walk that would take about 40, maybe 50 minutes to to an hour. So don't feel like you have to run the whole thing, Um, but you can also walk that. Uh, It'll be 8.30 a.m. We'll kind of start, we'll pray, we'll get together, uh, and then we'll start the run walk at 9 a.m., uh, undo that before it gets too hot. So that's uh, Saturday, July 24th, um, if you're interested in that. 
baptism uh, is coming up. We're going to have baptism with all three locations together again this year. Uh, we missed that last year, so I'm super excited about this. Uh, um, all three locations come together. We usually have uh, anywhere between 150 and 200 people between all three locations go to uh, a beach uh, on Lake Michigan in Milwaukee. Uh, and we have a grill out, and usually there's somewhere between um, you know, 20, 40, 50 people getting baptized and just this really cool celebration uh, for us to be the church all together instead of location to location. Uh, that'll be August 29th, uh, if you want to put that in your calendars. If you're interested in being baptized on that day, please see me. Uh, if you're interested in being baptized and you can't make that day, please see me um, and we can schedule something with that. Uh, the last thing that I have here is just a reminder uh, of that we do have a benevolence team uh, for our location. And so there's a benevolence team uh, within Mercy Hill. There's some people here that are part of that um, and where you give to benevolence like online or when you put it into the box and you give it to benevolence, it goes into a pool that's meant for all three locations. Uh, but we have developed a, a local team uh, because oftentimes uh, benevolence here at our location is is handled by the church. It doesn't even go to a request for the pool that's been saved up, but rather we just try to connect with people to be able to minister to one another, and this team uh, is an aid to do that, as well as to be able to provide some discipleship, training, mentoring when it comes to finances, being faithful to the Lord in finances. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up uh, is that if you need help, that you know that the team is available to be able to go to and ask for help. Uh, but also, if you're looking to help out someone uh, and you're just not quite sure if it's the right thing to do or, or whatever, that team there is also there to help you kind of discern and ascertain whatever the situation is. Um, and part of this is uh, we've even had some people lately uh, that used to be part of our church um, kind of reaching out individually to people within the church. Um, and we've come to find out, like looking back, that they've gotten help multiple times per week by multiple people. Um, and uh, this team will help to kind of uh, hold, uh, to have some accountability for stuff like that. Uh, instead of just like, okay, if they can get $100 from five people, they end up with $500 that week. And uh, unfortunately, this has happened. And so um, if you're unsure of who the person is, uh, you know that they don't come here. Uh, my suggestion is go to the benevolence team uh, and then they can interact with the person that doesn't come to our church or you haven't seen for a while uh, just for that sense of accountability. Um, by no means are we trying to say like, oh, well, I know this person. Well, no, it has to go through the team. It's just it's there as a tool and a resource um, and want to let you know uh, about that. Um, and again, to let you know that, you know, if somebody hasn't been here for a while and reaches out for help, uh, it might be wise to go to the team and see if that's been happening more often. So. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of John, entitled The Word. Um, last week, we took a look at the Pool of Bethesda, uh, where a man who had been uh, an invalid for 38 years, uh, he had been there, lying there, and uh, we looked at how what his hope was in was almost this twisted Roman Jewish idea of what the pool was, uh, based on like this pagan belief of how a Roman god would heal uh, from a pool just across the street or just down the street. Uh, and so he's 
there kind of putting his trust uh, in ritual, putting his trust in something that's been twisted. Uh, but then Jesus comes, heals him, uh, but also on the Sabbath, which created some controversy uh, with the Jewish leaders who are there at the pool. Uh, we're going to pick it up there today. So uh, we'll be in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Uh, but before we read, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning uh, and we thank you. We thank you for your word. For this supernatural anchor that we have. We live in a world that's constantly changing. We live in a world where people uh, base their decisions on emotions and whims and what is popular uh, and the constant shifting sands of our society. We thank you that we have a God who was, who is, and will ever be. That you are holy and you are true and pure and that you are the rock and that we stand upon You. And we thank You for Your Holy Word that You breathed into existence for us to submit ourselves to, to be transformed by, to submit to You and who You are, and not to try and create things of our own imaginations. Help us to submit to You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Uh, again, this is the man that had been healed. Uh, he went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Uh, so if you remember from the passage last week, essentially what happened is uh, Jesus is there in the pool. He asks the man, uh, do you want to be healed? Uh, the guy kind of points to some earthly excuses. Jesus' response is, pick up your mat and walk. Uh, and so the guy literally picks up his mat and walks out of there, uh, never even getting Jesus' name. Didn't know who he was. Uh, and so then he'd been interrogated uh, by the Pharisees afterwards saying, well, who told you to break this Sabbath thing by picking up your mat? Your mat and walking. And he's like, well, I don't know. Uh, later on, he finds out that it was Jesus. And so that's where we get into verse 15, where he goes and reports that it was Jesus who made him well. The consequence to this is in verse 16. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father uh, and making himself equal to God. And so here we have this ramping up of the conflict between the Pharisees uh, and between Jesus, between the, the religious Jews who are anchored within their system uh, and the Messiah who has come to set them free from sin and death uh, and the, uh, the law that they were unable to fulfill in the first place. They were upset because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And within that, they had their own oral tradition, their own oral law that they put into and, and put even heavier burdens upon the people saying, well, you know, this is what Moses gave us to do on the Sabbath. Like you can't travel this far and all these things. Well, we're going to add stuff on it in order to protect you from doing that. It would be like saying, well, uh, the speed limit's 55 miles an hour. That's the law. You can't go over 55 miles an hour. And so we're just going to make it tradition that you only go 45 miles an hour. Because if you only go 45 miles an hour, you're not going to even get close to going 55 miles an hour. And so then everybody started to follow that new oral thing. Like, okay, we're all going to go 45 miles an hour uh, is essentially what was happening. 
Uh, and so Jesus was here challenging that, uh, and he was offending uh, their idea of what observing the Sabbath was uh, and breaking these oral tradition rules. But did you notice it's not the thing that really upset them? He, he called God his own father. Oh, they were so offended by this. Really? Like, like calling God your father? I mean, we do that all the time. In fact, that's the way Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew. Our Father who art in heaven. The Pharisees themselves would refer to God as Father. So why were they getting all upset about this? Why were they sitting there and, and then linking him, calling God Father, as actually saying like he was equal to God? Because when we say our Father or refer to God as Father, we're, we're not trying to make ourselves equal to God in, in any sense. So why did they think that Jesus was doing this when he said, the Father is still working and I am also? Now his response here was actually pointed at one of their own beliefs. The Pharisees would work through all the different religious ideas and the doctrine when it comes to the various things, and the Sabbath was one of those things. And, and what they were working through is this idea of, well, well, God is resting, and so therefore that's the Sabbath. But if it's the Sabbath, is God still resting? That's what they had to work through. And so they wrestled through this uh, idea because in order for the universe to still be in existence, God still had to hold it together. And so therefore, God was doing something on the Sabbath. So was God breaking the Sabbath? What was God's? Well, no, God can't sin. Uh, and so they worked through these logical hula hoops and came up uh, with this idea uh, of that God still worked on the Sabbath, but rather it was within the Sabbath. So, so for instance, one of the things that they had for the Sabbath was you can't carry anything outside your house. Like that's work. You, you stay in your house. You worship God. You, you don't do the work by picking up something and, and carrying it somewhere. And so their logical thing came up with this idea that, that since God's house is all of creation, he never leaves his house. And so therefore, anything that God does, he's doing it within his house, and so therefore, he's not breaking uh, the law. Uh, another rule of the Sabbath was you could never lift something uh, above your head. So here's this box of Kleenex, uh, you know, maybe two ounces, uh, but on the Sabbath, I, I could lift it up to here, you know, to be able to take out a Kleenex, but I couldn't go above my head. That's breaking the Sabbath. That would be breaking one of their rules. And so when they're talking about God and, and the immense power of God, uh, they said, well, nothing is above God. And since there's nothing above God, he is the highest thing in all of existence. There's nothing above God. He can't lift anything above himself. And, and so therefore, no matter what miraculous thing he does, no matter how much power he uses, it can never be above himself. Uh, and so therefore, God himself is following the Sabbath. That was their conclusion. Here's the Sabbath. God submits to it himself. And, and therefore, God's not in sin when he does stuff. And they were missing the whole point of what the Sabbath was. Uh, another passage in Mark chapter 2. 
When Jesus is speaking with them, and on this occasion, um, they had been walking through, and they hadn't eaten in a while, and so they grabbed some grain as they were walking and, and threshed it, and oh my goodness, they were harvesting, and, and they were, the Pharisees were upset about that, and they were eating some of that, and Jesus pointed to uh, David and the showbread, and how there's grace and mercy in certain circumstances, uh, but then he responds in this, in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not the man for the Sabbath. In other words, uh, the Sabbath wasn't in existence until God established it for man to be able to observe, to set aside time, and to trust God, to worship Him. That was the whole point of the Sabbath. It wasn't that the Sabbath existed with God for all time, that God was submitting to the Sabbath and therefore man also had to. But here Jesus is saying, well, no, this was made for you. God made it for you. And and so he's pointing to this uh, and he's using this concept that they have that God's still at work. and, And even though God works, it doesn't offend the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, my Father is still at work. God's still at work. And then he says, and I am also working. And what the implication was in that moment was, me working doesn't break the Sabbath. Because God working doesn't break the Sabbath. Because God created the Sabbath. He can't sin, and neither can I. That's what Jesus was saying in this moment. Not just simply, God's my Father. But they would have understood in this moment that he was explicitly making himself equal to God when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to power, when it comes to his authority. This word equal in Greek is Strong's G2470, uh, which is esos. Uh, And it literally means equal in quantity or quality. And, And so here you have Jesus in that moment saying, I have the same substance. I am equal in quantity and quality to God the Father. And this is why they begin to cry blasphemy. This is why they begin to persecute him and start to plan and plot putting him to death. Jesus was claiming to be God. Now in this moment, with them fully understanding that, like, like, I can imagine like their minds being blown at that point. Like, what did you just say? And, and here Jesus doesn't correct them either. You notice that's not in the passage. Jesus doesn't say, wait, 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 you misunderstood me. What I'm trying to he doesn't do that at all. In fact, he doubles down and presses in even further in verse 19. Jesus replies after they are upset that he called himself God. Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. i just pause there for a second. Whatever the Father does, the Son does these same things. The Father spoke creation into existence. So did I, is what Jesus is saying. Whatever the Father does, I also do hold all of the universe together in existence to have power over life and death and sin 
He continues on and, and gives some examples. He says, what the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, the Son also gives life to whom he wants. I'll just pause there for a second. The Father, God, who spoke all things into existence, ultimate power over life and death, Jesus also has that same authority and that same power. When he sees a woman mourning the death of their child and this funeral possession going through, he just goes and he prays and lays his hand and the child is raised. You've got Lazarus who's been dead and buried for a number of days. He just literally speaks out, Lazarus, come out. And even as we say that, like we're familiar with those stories within Scripture. But I think it's hard to grasp like the miraculousness of that. Has anybody here seen a resurrection from the dead? Like I have a feeling like that would like fundamentally transform the way that you look at the world. I, just this week, um, I'm in the house, I'm actually working on the message, um, and I hear my, my wife and my daughter outside, and they were working out in the garden, and they're just like, ah, oh, baby buddies! And, and so they were working in the garden, and they were watering it, and, and here was this little hollow, um, and inside of it was, what, four, five? Five, like, tiny little baby bunnies, and, and you could barely, they looked like mice because the ears weren't that long yet. Just, just there in this little hole. And she's like, oh, so cute. And um, one of them had died. And, and the best that we can kind of ascertain is that the mother had got hit by a car or something. There's an orange cat, a rogue orange cat in the neighborhood. It's my nemesis. Um, but, uh, and so my wife and daughter went into like full-on animal rescue mode. Um, what show is it that you guys watch, like, in England with, like, the hedgehogs? And you know what that is? Okay, there was some show that they used to watch, like, it's in England, and, like, all that they do is go and rescue animals that are trapped or hurt or whatever. And so that's what my house kind of turned into. It was like, all right, we need to go get kitten milk uh, in order to try and nurse these bunnies back to life. And we got to get the heating pad out. And, and, and it was just, like, uh, crisis mode. Um, and another one died, and another one died, and another one died. Um, and there's still one, you know, that we're, we're kind of nursing and we have hope for. But as I'm reading this passage, I'm like, imagine the ability at that moment just to be like, get up and hop. <laughs> you know? To, to be able to do that just by speaking it out. And it would just happen. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. The authority that God has that Jesus is telling the Pharisees explicitly that He also has. The ability to take something where the life has gone out of it and to restore it. And the miraculous thing is that's just temporary. Jesus coming down to this earth for the express purpose of dying Himself in order to pay for our sins so that we might have a resurrection to new life for all eternity 
with our sins forgiven, that, that is exponentially greater than just any ability to say, get up and hop. Pick up your mat and walk. Lazarus, come out. This is what Jesus is saying. I have the ability to do. Verse 22 continues on. He says, in fact, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And you wonder why sometimes the Pharisees were so bent to kill him. He's literally saying to them right now, um, God the Father, and your understanding of him, uh, is wrong. I'm standing here in front of you, and I'm the one that's going to judge the whole world. And you reject him in this moment. And they continue to reject him. This idea of him being this judgment. And then in verse 23, it says, So that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son or honor Jesus does not honor the Father who sent him. And so again, he's pushing against these religious leaders and saying, your understanding of who God is is wrong. I'm here in front of you, equal to the Father, and if you don't give me honor, you're not honoring God. And in their minds, they just couldn't accept this. They couldn't reconcile this. Even though he was doing these miracles and, and even showing his authority and power over death by saying, Lazarus, come out. Pick up your mat and walk. And that these miracles were happening. Jesus is affirming His equality with God the Father. And that He is to get equal honor and glory with God the Father. It was something that was completely outside of what the Jews were expecting in this moment. And in this situation, they were not honoring the Son. Instead, literally, they're sitting there face to face with Jesus, with God, and then accusing Him of blasphemy. Literally standing there with the One who spoke all things into existence. The One who is sitting there with all the authority to hold their cells together. He has the power over life and death to be able to say, walk out Lazarus. He has the power in that moment to say, drop dead. And it happens in Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. He has that power and that ability. And so he's sitting there talking to them and they're accusing him of blasphemy. And in his grace and mercy, he allows for that to happen because of the purpose of heading towards the cross. Bearing shame so that we don't have to. And doing it with joy because it meant reconciliation with us and the hope for all of eternity. What the Jews didn't realize at that moment is that because of their preconceptions, because of all of the oral tradition, because of everything that they had added to what God had actually given to them, they had created a false God and given Him the same name as the God of the Bible. They weren't actually following God anymore. They were following a construct that they made and how they assumed that He would be. How he, they assumed what He would do. 
It was a God that was based on the God of the Old Testament, uh, of Yahweh. But instead, they were worshiping, worshiping a God that would act the way that they would expect Him to act. They were worshiping a God that would do the things that they, He would want them to do. And they were following the rules that they added to the God-given law. I, I just think of this whole thing, and, and here you have these Pharisees who had been through this school, and they added all of these different oral traditions on top of the law, and they consider themselves to be experts in this. We're experts of the law. And now here you have Jesus standing in their midst, the author of the law, the, the one that actually gave it to Moses. He wrote it. He knows what's in it. And they're going to him and saying, don't you realize that this is breaking the Sabbath? And I can't help. I, like, the thing that comes into my mind uh, is that in this moment is actually like the Princess Bride. It sounds weird. <laughs> but in The Princess Bride, you have this scene um, where you have Vicini who's constantly using the word inconceivable. Like something happens. It's inconceivable. Uh, and then you have one of my favorite characters, Inigo Montoya, um, who gets to one point and he's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And so here in this moment, you have the Pharisees going to God himself and Jesus Christ as fully man, fully God in the flesh, going up to the author of the law and saying, this is what it means. And in my mind, I'm wondering if Jesus is like, it doesn't mean what you think it means. If you only knew, there would be freedom. If you only understood what I'm here for, you would follow me and rejoice instead of bearing these heavy burdens of your own creation. We look here and now in 2021, and we look back and we might consider the Pharisees to be fools. Like he was standing right in front of you. Why couldn't you grasp that? He rose somebody from the dead. How could you be so dense? How could you continue to follow this oral tradition and the law and all these things heaped on top of it when freedom and grace and mercy were right in front of you? And the thing is, is though, we may look at them as being fools. We often create a version of God ourselves. Where we envision God to be something within our own image. Scripture tells us in James that, that we're to look at the Word of God as a mirror and we are to see how we are to be and then change ourselves to conform to it. But too much within our society, we have people taking a look at the Word of God, taking a look at themselves, and then saying, well, I don't think it really means that because it doesn't feel right. It doesn't apply to me. I, I don't know how many conversations uh, I've had too many conversations I've had with people as, as they face sin or even as they admit to committing adultery within their own marriage. And me saying, you realize this is a sin. Yeah, I realize it's a sin, uh, but I think Jesus has grace. And in my mind, I'm like, Inigo Montoya, I don't think that means what you think it means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Just that Jesus has grace no, He calls you to not sin and to walk away from sin and temptation. When He forgives somebody, He literally then says to them, go and sin no more. He never, never says, 
Uh, you know what? When this temptation comes up, go ahead. I got it covered on the cross where I bled out and died to pay for your sins. He never says that. But calls us to submit, to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, to conform to what He died for us to be. Not to sit there and take a look at Scripture and say, I don't think that part applies to me. This part doesn't apply to 2021. If we do those things, we're just like the Pharisees creating a false god that we worship. And if we put our trust in that, woe, woe to us. On that day when Jesus judges, as He says that He's going to judge, He's going to tell people, I never knew you. And those are the people that created a false god. In that passage, people are walking up to Jesus and they say, for you. Like, we cast out demons for you. Like, we were following you. And Jesus' response was, I never knew you. They thought that they were submitting to God, but in reality, it was their own construction of what God was. And they were creating their own rules and their own decisions, which ultimately is the same sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. God says, don't eat of the fruit. And Satan comes with this temptation to Adam and Eve saying, you know, if you eat of this, you get to determine for yourselves what's good or bad. You'll know right from wrong. Yeah, I want that power myself. And so they fell into that temptation. When we create our own construct, this own idea where the Bible and God is subjective to our own wisdom, our own desires, our own sense of what morality is, we're doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did by saying, we're going to decide for ourselves what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's not, what's morality. And in doing so, we're not following Jesus. We're not following the God who spoke all things into existence, has authority over life and death, and is going to judge us. We need to submit to Him and follow. The Pharisees did not do that within this moment, uh, but we have the opportunity in order to look and say, God, You are my God. Jesus, You are my Lord. My whole life is Yours. In fact, when it comes to salvation, that's what He asks. In Romans, where it says, if you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, like, Jesus is Lord. It's not just this magical phrase that you say, and like, okay, I'm saved now. I've got my get-out-of-hell card. The confession of Jesus is Lord, believing in the Greek word pistis, that absolute trust, absolute belief, Jesus is my Lord, means He's my King. He is my ruler. He's my benefactor. He is everything to me. And I submit all that I am to Him. Because I don't have the strength and ability to save myself. And He is infinitely better than I am. And so I just entrust myself to Him. Who He is. Who He declares Himself to be. Not what we can try and pretend or construct or come up with ourselves. But Jesus of the Bible. When we look at Jesus, we need to see the Father. And when we will look at the Holy Spirit, we need to see Jesus and the Father in the Trinity.
Jesus walked on this earth for 30-some years, and with God's wisdom and providence, the Holy Spirit is now the helper and the one that we walk with as we go through this life waiting for Jesus to return. We honor God the Father. We honor Jesus the Son. And we honor God the Holy Spirit. We dare not create any of them in our image, but submit to their Lordship. We don't want to have these false idols that we claim as true and we deceive ourselves, but to be anchored in the Word, fully submitted to the leading of God and what He has. I think we can fall into the same danger of God calling us to do something as individuals or as a church. And if we've been creating this false sense of, well, God wouldn't call me to do that. God wouldn't ask me to do something I'm not comfortable with. God wouldn't call our church to stop showing up on Sundays and go do something on Thursdays. Like we're creating that sense, this expectation, this preconceived notion of what God will or will not do. Our job is just to humbly submit and follow and allow Him to transform us as we behold His beauty within Scripture and the work within us. Um, I want to pray. Uh, and then after I pray, I want to take a moment if there's any thoughts um, or things that you, know, you feel God's been speaking to you as we've gone through this particular passage. Uh, and then we'll go into worship after that. Father, we come before You this morning. Uh, again, we thank You for Your Holy Word, the life of Christ, and the way that He confronted deeply held beliefs and traditions and how you still do that for us today. Lord, I pray that you help us to be on guard against creating a false construct of who you are and then following that and using it to, to reason away our sins, to reason away uh, and justify our own choices when in reality we're just trying to be like Adam and Eve and choose right or wrong for ourselves. But help us to see you as Lord, to submit to you as Lord and follow you as Lord. Lord, I pray that you would guide our conversation and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Anybody have something that they felt like was for this church this morning?